my song. Welcome, everybody, and welcome to another show of Hollywood Godfather podcast. I'm so excited because we have such great news, and Pat and I will bring you that in a few minutes. I just want to say hello to my writing partner, Pat Picciarelli. How's everybody doing? Megan Horn with me. My millennium. Hello. My millennium. <laughs> my, 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 my. <laughs> when do you not become a millennium? Is there a certain age? I don't know if I am technically. There's like a cusp of 1996. I'm like kind of on the cusp of millennial and Gen Z. But, you know. Oh, what's what's the other one? It works. No. Gen Z. What's Gen Z? The younger, the younger generation. Oh. The people That's below a, me are Gen Z. That's 2000. On, on, I believe, right? That's too much. For yeah. Me. Is it? I don't know. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. I'm not but sure. But once you have a birth label, you have it forever. I'm, I'm still a baby boomer. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because that's I when you were born. I was born in 96, yeah. so whatever that makes me. Yeah. Makes you really young. <laughs> yeah. That is true. Well, yeah. All right, guys. What are, we, what are we talking about today? Well, what, what we're talking about is something you introduced, and I really want to give the kid credit. Yes. Oh, yeah. So last week or two weeks ago, we read a question from James. And at the end, he said, loving the show as always, an episode purely on Sinatra would be a dream. Well, J James, right? You just said. Mm -hmm. James, you gave Pat and I an idea. We've been we've been asked when is our next book? What is it going to be about? And Pat and I started doing research on that subject, Sinatra. And when I started doing the research, I realized my introduction to Sinatra was December 12th, 1949, until he died. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the guy was in my life indirectly, directly. And uh, it, it's so crazy that when we started looking at it and we started peeling the layers away and we... Wanted to start with his mother, Dolly, who I got to know, fortunately. Not know, but I know of her, been in her company. And uh, I never knew Marty, his brother, his father. But we knew the history of them. And then when we started looking at it and then doing the research, a, a familiar location kept coming up. The, the, the Clam Broth House in Hoboken was opened in 1899. I can't believe it. 1899. And it's still there. What's that? Were you there for the grand opening? No, no. I'm not that old. <laughs> I, I wish I were. <laughs> no, but, but when I, we started looking at it, and you and I started talking during the week. Yeah. When, you, when you think of a place that Woodrow Wilson on the balcony of this place addressed the troops going to World War One. Dolly Sinatra's mother was a barmaid there, which I find even uh, one of the guys that hung out there every night for a long time was Marlon Brando when they were doing On the Waterfront. Then Sinatra sang there. So I'm saying to myself, wait a minute. All these parallels with Sinatra me meeting him in 1949. He baptized my son in 95 or 96. 
He passed on soon after that. But now Marlon Brando, I needn't know, I didn't know Marlon Brando was drinking there doing, you know, I, was, I wasn't even around when they shot that movie. And that was in 1954, in fact, July 28th. But how, when you start thinking about this one bar, I think we're gonna make it famous. So Pat and I sat down and said, you know, let's not just make this, and this is, you're just hearing, Megan, this for the first time, because we've, mm -hmm. been, we've been collaborating, not on this subject for the show, we're selfishly gonna make it our book, and we're gonna announce it right now. The title of the segment, which that will become a book, so far, it's a working title, like in the movies. I mean, if a publishing house came in and gave us an all lot of money, and they wanted to change it, maybe we'll take it. But look forward to these episodes, and I wanna thank James for encouraging it. It's called Sinatra, The Mob, and Me. Ooh. Hello. <laughs> I love that. And How many years, Gianni, would you say that you had uh, contact with, with Sinatra? Well, I've been trying to think of that. I mean, I, I remember the first ones, obviously, was a year or two later. I was in the hospital for five years, so let's go that way. So, 49, I started listening to the transistor radio. And all day long, on December 12th, unbeknownst to me, I was born the same day as Sinatra. Obviously not the same year, but <laughs> he was born in uh, 1915. And with that said, he encouraged me to get out of that hospital. And for the, our, our listeners that don't know my life, the covert thing we're all going through now this is my second pandemic. This is the second time I've been quarantined in my life. But fortunately, I'm quarantined in New York City where I walk down the block and walk in the park. When I was quarantined in Bellevue, uh, August 7th, I walked in, 1949, just approaching four months shy of my seventh birthday. And then I heard about Sinatra and I was paralyzed on the whole left side of my body. And for the people of the younger generation that don't know what polio was, just in my small world, 2,700 kids died in the time I was there. And it was an epidemic throughout the world. And I think someone just made an announcement out of Africa that the world is finally cleansed of polio. And it just happened last year. So you can understand the, uh, the tragedy early on, and then we all know them, you know, so many others. But for me, Sinatra encouraged me just because he was from Hoboken, from humble beginnings. His father worked at Todd Shipyard. Then the mother, Dolly, was the head of the Democratic Party in Hoboken. She had influence enough to get him a job in the fire department. And her stories are going to shock the world. But to answer your question, Pat, six or seven years after me listening to him, I go to the Copa, which is 14 60th Street and 5th. 
I was going there all the time because Costello owned it. And it was like maybe four o'clock in the afternoon. There were already lines outside. And I go downstairs and my mentor, who I never met up until that time, Frank Sinatra was doing a sound check. And then I, he stayed in my life all the way to the end of his death. But I mean, to, I mean, one of the most iconic things I remember, it was at the Fontainebleau Hotel, I believe it was in the late 60s, Elvis Presley just came out of the war and he, he was not a, uh, at that time, as Pat knows, there were a lot of uh, celebrities that were basically draft dodgers. In fact, we're going to get into Sinatra was accused of that and supposedly paid a doctor to get him out of it. But he went in as a movie star, Elvis Presley, decorated. I mean, I don't know if he was on the front lines. No, no, he, he, he did his time in uh, peacetime Germany. He was in for two years. Okay. But anyway, no but he the fact that he went in yeah. and not like yeah, Muhammad Ali and so many other people used religions and faked uh, punched eardrums like Sinatra and yeah, stuff look, like that. He was at the height of his fame. He right. could have figured something out to get out of that if he wanted to. Right, exactly. And I think that's why America caressed him even more. But I was privied by a gentleman called Myelansky, who I, I love and Hi, Johnny. I love that voice he used to call me. But he invited me along with Ben Novak, who owned the Fontainebleau, and it was always a rumor that really Maya owned it. NBC was going to do a special, and Frank Sinatra was hosting it along with Elvis Presley, welcoming him back as a civilian. And I was there all week with them. But I can go on and on and on. I, I went to Israel with Moshe Diane because I was on, I was privy to go to Independence Day again at the Fontainebleau Hotel for Israel bond relief. And I remember that conversation because uh, Frank and I went to the, uh, the Doral, no, no, uh, the Diplomat Hotel at the same time, and it was for the Anti-Defamation League, and they were trying to raise money. And we were so proud because the, the league raised $35,000. And when Sinatra hit the podium, I think it was one of the funniest lines he ever said, he's standing between Moshe Diane, who was the guest of honor after the three-day war, and- Yeah, he was general. general. Yeah, he was the Israel general. And, uh, and Sammy Davis, and he said to Moish and Diane, he said, you know, I was so proud. I just came from an Italian-American dinner, and we raised $35,000. And we come here, and you raised $13 million. That's amazing. He's, but you know what the difference with the Italians? They put up cash. You guys pledged it all. When they try to collect a pledge, wish you luck you get that kind of money. I fell on the floor. I couldn't believe he said that. The audience yeah, went crazy. Hey, get away with <laughs> I know. I mean, but, but the experiences, and then, you know, going, like I said, into the 90s, and 
uh, he invited me personally, and I sat at his table for the birthday party for for uh, Richard Nixon, no, uh, Ronald Reagan, and we all had to call him Dutch. And here I'm calling the President of the United States Dutch because that's what he wanted, that was his nickname. And I'm sitting with James Stewart. I mean, the stuff, because of Sinatra, and the places and experiences I have, and another great experience, I remember he calls me up and he says, uh, what are you gonna do the next couple of days? I said, nothing, he's coming with me, it's okay. And he was living right down the block here. Most people don't know. He lived with, which we called her the kid, Mia Farrow. He was 29 years older than her when he married her. He bought a brownstone on this block. Megan, do you believe that? No way. Six doors down the block. Sinatra, oh my God. Six, yeah. Since 1986 to 88, Frank and I were neighbors. I, how nuts that is. I mean, he that never gave up his apartment on 72nd Street because we only go to a party. But when, when we started thinking about this and I started going through my diaries and photographs, that's why we decided first to maybe, there's just too much to make a segment of it. We're going to have an ongoing situation. And then we've been asked, fortunately, by our agent that everybody wants you to write another book. And I, we really didn't want to do it yet because our book is still doing well, thanks to all of you, Hollywood Godfathers, which the podcast is named after. But as, as a bunny who don't know about writing, this book probably won't be out for what, Pat? How long do you think? If we were to finish it tomorrow, keeping in mind we haven't even started the proposal yet, uh, it takes a year and a half minimum. So that's why Pat and I said, you know, the timing would be great. We're being very optimistic because Nick Vallelongo, which, which you heard on our podcast, is diligently writing and wrote the script and the Bible. The Bible is the, the nine other episodes, and we're making the rounds now with major, major studios and actors. And so that's gonna be, come to fruition. And we have so many things going on. And time-wise, I'm thinking that, wouldn't it be interesting, or we, tell them the byline we came up with for Sinatra, the mob, and me. The, uh, you know, you're gonna have to refresh my memory on that one, we came up with so many, but uh, Hollywood Godfather is something I forgot. Yeah. What was it? We, we, we're trying to marry our title in so it refreshes everybody's memory. It's gonna, we, hopefully it's gonna be Sinatra, the mob, and me, and the truth of the Hollywood Godfathers. Yeah, plural. Plural, Godfathers. Yeah. Uh, keep, keeping in mind, you know, everybody who's listening to this, there has been so much written on Sinatra a couple of biographies, uh, uh, all unauthorized, many stories. What you're going to read in this book will be stories that, of course, are true, uh, that have never been told before. Yeah. Uh, that's what's going to make it, we hope, uh, a hit. It's, it's coming from someone, Gianni Russo, who was there. And that there were things he was telling me, Johnny and I were, were speaking. We don't want to let that too much out here. It's, you know, going to it's going to be in a book, but some of these things that you were telling me uh, made sense when I, uh, I I look at his career and wondered why 
he played Vegas for free <laughs> for, for many, many years. Fine. Reason why. Detroit. <laughs> Chicago. But, uh, <laughs> it, 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 you have, I tell you, you have a lot to say. Fortunately, you have an excellent memory, and you, you put a lot of this on paper at the time it happened. Right. And not uh, only that, this past weekend, I, I started making some calls to families that I've been involved with. Now I'm involved with the second, third, fourth generation. A person like Frank Nitti, who was part of Capone's era, and then his demise, what he did, and a guy called Yale Cohen, who this weekend I talked to his son, his grown-up son. Yale Cohen was a bodyguard along with Tony Arcado for Capone. And Arcado, until he died, after Frank Nitti committed suicide, not to be, he was have to turn himself in on Monday, he was very religious, like his his children are, his grandchildren are. Yet today, I go to mass numerous times with his grandson, and the the, the situation being why I'm bringing it up. These are the kind of things people don't know. He was supposed to turn himself in on Monday. This is Frank Nitti. Anybody that watched Elliot Ness, this man's name came up numerous times. He came back from church, walked his family home from the church went upstairs to his bedroom, unbeknownst to his family, emptied his pockets out, and said, I'm gonna go take a walk, went down the street and blew his brains out. That was the loyalty he had to the outfit in Chicago. Rather than go in, because he knew they were gonna to try to set him up and make him seem like a snitch to try to convince him to roll over. But a lot of story out there. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, I started to do some uh, research after we started talking, and it was something that I, I I found that I thought was pretty funny. Sinatra in 1938, uh, when he was just starting out, uh, he had a little bit. You know, he was a vocal singer, but uh, he hadn't uh, attained the fame that he eventually would get. He was arrested no, first. But, time. But, but, while that hold that thought a minute though, he was yeah. a local singer in yeah. a group called the Hoboken Five. They used to sing on the corner and harmonize. Five hey, guys. <laughs> That's how he yeah. started singing. Uh, anyway, he was arrested for adultery and seduction. This was a, a state law in New Jersey in that if you had sex with a single woman and you uttered the, the words to the effect that you were going to marry her and you didn't, you got arrested for adultery slash seduction, whichever applied. So he gets locked up, and there's an infamous mugshot of him, which you can see anywhere on the internet. It's fact, crazy. It's a it's a, a pop icon picture. You can buy it framed anywhere. Oh, it's everywhere. Of, In fact, I had a conversation with him years ago, and you clarified something in your research the other day. I had a conversation with Frank years ago. I said, "Why didn't you ever buy the rights to that mugshot?" And Frank and why he couldn't. Pat clarified for me. Tell him why, why, Frank. I can't believe this. It's public information. Anybody can get access to it. Okay. Like a it's lot getting, of guys buy their mugshots. You can't. Yeah, this is why when, when celebrities get uh, arrested, you know, two days later, you see their mugshots. They, they, don't, they don't own their own image when it comes to being accused of a crime. A picture's taken. It's available for anybody to see. You can't copyright it, in other words. But Sinatra, mm -hmm. in this case, gets arrested for... Uh, 
adultery and uh, seduction, they find out that the woman's married. So they dropped the uh, 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 seduction part and rearrested him two months later for adultery. Uh, <laughs> and I can't find anything that says why that charge was dismissed. But there's a story behind that. Well, we don't want to get we'll, we'll, I'll give you that now in our book. But these yeah. are the type of things. But I'm, when, you, when you told me that, I was sitting to myself in shock because I'm thinking, how many women that I say I was going to marry, <laughs> I would be Boy, doing I, life I, somewhere. <laughs> so when did that? When did being charged with that become obsolete? Well, it, it, it depends on the state. Every state has its own felony laws. Uh, I don't know. It, it, I would say sometime in, in the late 1940s they finally got rid of it. But if that law was still in effect today, Gianni would be in prison for life without parole. <laughs> I mean, he would not be here That's doing podcasts with us. It would be me and you, mate. I mean, I, 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 have, I have ten mothers. and <laughs> I, I know, uh, I think six of them I promised I'd marry. And plus, I don't know how many other women. I mean, it's, I, a uh, law like that uh, is so bizarre. That's, so that's is that just, I, would it just have been hearsay? It was just as the woman said that yeah. he ever said that? Well, the woman said he promised to marry me. The cuffs go on. You're arrested. Wow. Couldn't anybody do it then? Just to get well, any an ex-boyfriend arrested? That's probably why the law was eventually. That's probably uh, later on they had it because uh, they were locking up guys just for making love. Yeah. You, you also have to uh, uh, recall that she was a married woman. And she forgot to tell the police that flipped her mind. Yeah, hello. She, yeah, you know, she forgot that part. So you, you can't uh, you can't seduce a married woman according to the state uh, uh, of, of New Jersey because you can't promise to marry her when she was already married. But that didn't okay. stop. They arrested the guy. <laughs> I can't believe they rearrested him. Yeah, and I and the craziest thing, as we all know, especially people who watch The Sopranos, they exploited that in their in their office. They, they had the that mugshot hanging. On Tony Soprano's desk, I've seen that mugshot so many times, and every time I've I seen think it of so it, so many times too. You, you also, right, Megan? Even, yeah. But you see, but you see post posters being sold of it anywhere. I know. It's, it's all over the place. I mean, if you're going to get arrested, at least you know a couple of times I was brought in. At least it was for murder. I mean, going out with somebody. I mean, how, how, how disrespectful <laughs> is that? You know, uh, he was he was only twenty three there, and he he looks every day of seventeen in that picture. Yeah, I mean, I, he, yeah, looks, yeah. He, he didn't age until he got into his thirties. Yeah, he started putting on weight. Yeah, I mean, he was always lean and mean, but yeah. you know, I I'm not, I mean, the, the the notes I'm making now, and and why I want to elaborate a, on a little, is two things. Number one, to exploit the book that's coming out in a year or two. But so you, these are the things you're going to look forward to, in because we're going to make this like maybe once every other month. We don't know. We'll see how the mail comes in and if you're enjoying it. But I can remember Sinatra. I would I interrupted myself where he said, "What are you doing the next couple of days?" I said, "Nothing." He said, "Well, take a couple of suits and, and a, a black tie. We're going to go to London, Liverpool." And Monte Carlo. Now, how do you turn that down <laughs> on his on his jet? <laughs> so now, unfortunately, you weren't doing that much. What the hell? Why not, right? Oh yeah. Well, I, my my life was, you know, number one. Nobody knew. They always wanted me to be around him and keep an eye on him. Yeah. And by that time, you know, 
I was well respected. And being and going, we were going over, I remember it like it was yesterday. We were going to Annabelle's in London, a great club. And some people will remember the, the Curry brothers, two, two English mobsters, they ran London. And they were a genius in bringing, they brought George Raft, the actor, in to run Annabelle's. That's insane. So I'm going over there as a kid. I meet George Raft, who I always loved, flipping that coin in the movies and all that. <laughs> and then we went to Liverpool, where Sinatra did a concert about four or five years in a row. And that, that producer started bringing me in after Frank died. And I used to do Sinatra's weekend for his club. And that, I mean, that's after he passed. But after we did that weekend, then we flew to Monte Carlo to be with Grace Kelly to be part of the Red Cross Ball. Oh, and I forgot to say, while we were in London, he was visiting his old friend, Flame, who just moved from Spain, most people don't know. Ava Gardner was living in Spain, then moved to Great Britain. And then she passed in Great Britain later on. But they always had the, the wildest love affair. And they just were bad for each other. I mean, they used to get in arguments that turned into fist fights. And she'd go one-on-one with him because she was bigger than a number one. Frank was, Frank was never a fighter. A love-hate relationship? Oh, yeah. Oh, it went on. Yeah. In fact, even, yeah. even something you're going to learn also with Mia Farrow, in an interview, because I've been doing that research too, and a lot of people don't know, and Sinatra hated the fact of it, Mia Farrow was born the same day as Howard Hughes. And in parallels, I'm born the same day as Sinatra. But the difference was, she was so enamored with Howard Hughes, she screwed him for 12 years straight. And Sinatra was so jealous of that. Do you believe this? I mean, look, Sinatra was 29 years older than her or whatever. He right. just had to be older than that. Well, I know, but, I'm, but that's why I'm saying, here's a guy that gets jealous of that. And then I don't know how many people in our audience know she married Andre Previn, the great conductor and, and you know, composer. Also an oldie guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, she... And then, and then I clarified in my own research, and I may be clarifying this to the world, her son, that they always were saying must be Sinatra's son. Yeah, Ronan. Yeah, Ronan. Oh, Ronan Farrow. Ronan Farrow. I wonder why nobody came up with the facts I did. Ronan Farrow was born 19 years after he, he left... Mia Farrow in '88. <laughs> that I would have been you. that would have been the longest pregnancy in mankind. <laughs> <laughs> you look at you, you look at Ron and Farrow. He looks like I mean he, he could be Sinatra's son. I mean that's what right. we're talking about. But you know yeah. I mean they're, they're saying. Or do you want to send it over email? I don't know how he wants to open yeah, it up. Yeah. Well, because he has to click the link. Well, why don't you just send it to? What is that? I'm gonna send it to you. Forward it to him. Um, 
what? just has to click the link. So I don't know if he wants to what open it up that? from his computer or his phone. That's my voice. Okay, I know. I, I, I already got Johnny's invitation. Oh, okay. Okay, perfect. Thank you. All right, bye. What is that, though? How'd that come in on us? Only technology was almost done. What is happening? I don't know. Call Mike. Should we stop here a minute? Yeah. Why don't you call Mike? Because I don't have a phone. Okay. Oh, yeah, you're right. What was that? And we were into the show. How many minutes? Let him know. We had five minutes left. Left. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. Wow. That went fast. All right. Let me call him real quick. Okay. Is it still playing? It's not playing anymore, is it? No, it stopped. It went for about 20 seconds. Yeah. So, um, my, hey. in the next few days, so I'll contact you. We'll add that new picture. Oh, wait. It's playing again. It's playing again. So, there's, there's some I think old her, audio that picture of her us in bed matches all the, right the other ones after the bathtub. Um, we're not sure where it's coming Especially from. Especially when I'm saying I'm a gentleman. And that was Saturday afternoon when I left it's, on Monday. It's weird. It's playing right now. We were just and in the middle of recording. All of a sudden, we started hearing our own voices. Can I hear it? I'm excited to do the show again. And Mike, well, he can't hear it because I have my head. When's the next one? Um, Mike, Mike October 11th, Sunday, October 11th. Yeah, it's what, Jenny? Nice. No, Mike, what we're hearing is when I was telling him of adding Marilyn's picture in the bed after the bathtub. To my new show, Where whenever that oh, was, okay. it's in Spring Lake. Yeah, and I'm here. My say sure. Spring Lake. It's Are you still, responding to yourself? Yeah. It's still being played. Mike You're charging three hundred and fifty dollars a ticket. Oh my god, that is so yeah, weird. Really it's just oh, it's not that's even an episode. Wine, it's just our conversation. Book signing, right? Whole after experience. after we recorded like last week, six, uh, I'll be there mm -hmm. four or five hours. We're doing the show in two parts. Okay, I got you. And I'm seeing me on camera now here too. Yeah, I got you. Really? Mike, yeah. we hear you. I just can't see you though. Can you see it, Mike? I can't see you. Wait, hold on. He can't hear you, Johnny. Oh, okay, Mike. you don't have to see me. Okay. Well, we, Are we um, video recording this one? No. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, that's why we were doing it the, the other way. Okay. Yeah, well, that, well, that isn't working. So, I mean, this will work. He, I, I, te I texted him the, uh, the. Uh, Where is it coming from? Contacting you now. Okay. Right. It's playing us now, and it's, he, he, I got he, I got Megan. So I saw a headline on CNN, uh, Megan, that you're moving back to New York. Yeah, I know. We got video from Megan. That what? Makes it looks, I think I know what happened. What was it? So, so in the background, Zoom was converting your last week's show, and I guess after it was done. Okay. All right. So that was really weird. So yeah. Okay. So we're just gonna have to figure out. I mean, we had like five minutes left in recording this second episode, Mike. So hopefully, you can just find a way to cut it. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Thank you, uh, Mike. Just so you identify. Wait. And let me let me relay a message from Gianni real quick. Yes. You'll you'll identify Megan. In the in the shot we don't want, she has horn rim glasses on. <laughs> you don't like my glasses? No, but we can't marry to this one. Well, it's not the same. I know. So Different episode. He knows where to cut it. Is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> okay, I think we're good to go now. So you just have to splice that back together. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right.
Perfect. Bye. What he says, I like your glasses. I love well, the we glasses. Using, we weren't using, we weren't video recording that one, so it doesn't that. matter. No, but I'm just, I'm laying, as an editor, we try we? to give him points where the scissor goes. They don't even use Yeah, but he's going he's gonna to be editing the audio, which is going to be a completely different file than the video, so he won't be able to see my glasses. You still didn't get the joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, I didn't. I didn't. What was the joke? We're not using it. Cut it where she's got glasses, and where she don't have glasses, that's what we need. Got it. Okay. Got it. Got the joke. So you're, All too, right. you're, too much, you're too high tech. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know where you left off? Do we even get into anything about the mob yet? No, we're going to get into that now. Okay, because we have like five minutes. So. Yeah, I think. I mean, Pat, you, we yeah. left off with Andre Previn. Right, Andre okay, Previn. Go ahead. Now, Pat, you, you, uh, I think you and I had conversations where we allude to the mob, but we, we should use that as a hook. I don't want to give it to them when he writes, you know, he gets to, a, gets to an agent and says he wants to, well, I'll, I'll get to it. We'll use it as a hook without what, saying what I, what it. What I was talking about, uh, what I was alluding to before is why he sang in Vegas for free. Right. You know, we, we don't give any of this stuff away, you know, obviously. No. That, that's why I'm saying, so now we'll get to it that, that way. Okay. All right, so, so, okay, go ahead. Okay. But the interesting thing that most people don't know, Frank, for 46 years to be exact, he had an FBI file. They were watching him because he had so many mafia friends in so many cities. He was advised by his attorney, Mickey Rudin, we have to clear this up. So he made a big mistake in how he tried to do it. And you're gonna find out through different episodes why Sinatra surrounded himself with so many mob families after his escapades in New York and Chicago. And then, you know, obviously we all know about him getting involved with babysitting Senator John F. Kennedy, which he thought he could protect him and Peter Lawford would protect them for that John F. Kennedy, once he became president, would fulfill all the promises that he made through his father. And it's going to be a, a run that nobody has ever written about. You're going to hear names of seven mafia families, and all of them are still currently working <laughs> and operating. But I think what we came upon, and again, James, where is James from? Do we know where James is from? We don't, or at least I don't. Well, what, what, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this on air, and, and Pat don't even notice. I think we should find out through his email. I, I'd like to do a one-line dedication in the book. Thank you, yep. James. <laughs> yeah, for, for giving us the idea. That's, that's reasonable. Yeah, because, you know, we have so much stuff. But now I think we hit, this is the biggest we have. This includes presidents, every mob family, every movie star, his relationship with I don't know how many people, including Marilyn Monroe. And I mean, it's, again, nobody, first of all, has the nerve to do it. You know I do, and Pat's right behind me. <laughs> I have a There's a lot to look forward to. 
I think <laughs> Sinatra, the mob, and me is going to be legendary. Legendary. I think so. and, and, and I'll say again publicly this to Pat. I will definitely, um, what, what do I have to call that? Uh, indemnify you against lawsuits. Let them come to me. <laughs> well, that. No, it's going to be, you know, for the for people who are, are interested in this, and I'm interested in it, and I'm going to help write it. Uh, uh, this, is, this is a process. This business of writing isn't for people who want instant gratification. So what Gianni and I have to do first is write a proposal which is uh, about 40 to 60 pages. And that goes to our agent, Frank Wyman, uh, over at Folio. And then he proceeds to try to sell it. Now, I don't think we're going to have a problem with that. Uh, then uh, we get what's known as an advance. And then we begin to write the book about 18 months after that. It takes Johnny and I about four months to write a book. Right. Uh, that said, once it's done and handed in, it's about, let's say, depending on what time of year it is and how fast they want it out, a minimum of a year, up to 18 months, somewhere in there, uh, where you're going to see the book uh, on a bookshelf. So what we're looking at uh, from today, two years. Well, I'm going to tell you, I've done math, and I'm going to go on his 18 months, because my wish for this book to come out, because I'm a businessman, and I want to take advantage of publicity, I want this book to come out February 12th, 2022, the 50th anniversary of Godfather 1. <laughs> we better get, get stepping. What's that? We better get stepping. Oh, well, I'm already stepping. I got, I got three tabfuls of, of notes already, plus right. diaries, photographs. The photographs I got this weekend, you're not going to believe. And it chronologically takes you all there. So when you, like in our Godfather, Godfather, Hollywood Godfather book, when you just think it's all oh, this is a story, you'll turn the page and you'll see a picture. <laughs> I got pictures of me at 21 years of age at one of Tony Accardo's daughter's wedding, sitting with Yale Cohn and Nitty. I mean, this stuff. I, I mean, I never wanted to let it go, but now we're gonna have some fun with it. A lot to look forward to. I, I recall when St. Mars Press, our editor there, Charlie Spicer, asked me, he said, you think Gianni has any pictures? <laughs> I said, the photo I, album on his I, coffee table alone. I, I need pictures. Thousands and thousands. And, uh, how about 4,000 pictures at least, right? Yeah, I have, I have 3,500 in one album alone. Oh, jeez. Yeah, we won't uh, be uh, hurting for documentation, that's for sure. Right. So I guess we go to the mailbag now, right? All right. On that note, lots to look forward to. And that was episode 90. God bless. A little bit of a wait. Yeah, episode 90. All right. Let's get to the mailbag. First, we have a message from John. I absolutely cannot stop listening to the podcast. I've been listening for four days straight and can't wait to get to the audiobook. I have a few questions about the Jews' organizational structure and rank in the mob throughout the 20th century and after the death of Meyer Lansky. I read that the syndicate was formed in 1929 and the commission was formed in 1931. From what I understand, the syndicate was created to combine and conquer the ethnic divide between the old Jewish and Italian gangs. Lansky was chairman of the syndicate upon Luciano's deportation to Italy. Can you explain the origins of the syndicate compared to the origins of the commission and shed some light on the Jews' organizational structure in each? Well, they're basically the same. 
I mean, the commission was formed by all Italians. Then they created the syndicate, which, as you pointed out, encompassed the Jews and the Italians, and a small portion of the Irish. We got, can't leave the Irish friends out, the Leahys and all those guys. But the, the nucleus was based around Maya, Modelitz, uh, I mean, I can go on and on with the Jewish names, and the top guys that we've been talking about, Frank Costello, Tony Accardo, and um, some friends in Sicily, and you know they, they and and Carlo Gambino, but uh, it's 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 an amazing structure when you think of the minds of these people, that if they were in legitimate business, as they said in Godfather Two, we're going to be bigger than U.S. Steel. They could have been. <laughs> All right. Next one is also from John. He sent us a lot of questions. He said, what was Meyer Lansky's rank in the commission since he was not the head of any of the five families or the outfit or the Buffalo family, as opposed to his rank as chairman of the syndicate? They called them the accountant. And that's all he wanted. That wasn't, they, they didn't do ranks. They knew each other's value. Nobody was a, a, a better than the other. To get into the syndicate, you've already arrived. You weren't like in a, a mob family trying to earn your bones and move up. You couldn't. You were already recognized unless you weren't invited in the syndicate. And the syndicate, which most people don't know, was really to, to divide Las Vegas with ownership and territories. Each member controlled a hotel of his own. And that's what a lot of people didn't know until Spalatro got there. And that's why a lot of people went crazy when Spalatro destroyed Vegas because you had New England who had the Dunes Hotel, you had St. Louis who had the Aladdin Hotel, Detroit who had the Riviera Hotel. And the Stardust and, and the Desert Inn were a part of a couple of families. Kansas City, Milwaukee, but basically Chicago. Chicago ran that. I mean, so they broke it down to a business and respect. And everybody on that strip had their own house. You run it the way you want. Because they realized they couldn't. The, the, the greed and the money was ridiculous at that time. But it got all destroyed. I mean, two people in my life that I happened to know both of them and disliked both of them which is ironic, was Tony Spalaccio and John Gotti. They got crazy. They forgot this was a secret organization. <laughs> hmm. All right, moving on. Next one is from Rita. Rita says, hi, Gianni. I'm a huge fan of The Godfather and have been so delighted to see that you still have a thriving career all these years later. Seeing as some time has certainly passed, who would you say is the cast member that you are closest to to this day? Is there anybody you wish you had stayed in touch with? Keep up the great work with your podcast and any future endeavors. Well, the, the only real person I respect at a Godfather one was Al Pacino, still. And most of the other guys I did respect all passed on. I mean, you know, Richard Conti, I, I, John Morley, these guys were thespians that I knew. 
you know, it, it, uh, and then Godfather Two, and I had a great friendship. Well, I still have the friendship with him. Is is De Niro, and I, I got really close to De Niro. I mean, we took trips together and everything else. But I think he just got too political for me, and I don't want to be involved with anything. It has to do with politics, number one. And I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a game not like he is. And I just read something about him. They're boycotting all his Nobu restaurants now. I think there's like 36 of them throughout the world. Just because... Who is boycotting it? Telling people not to go. Because of his political views. And he, yeah. It, it is, a, you know... I don't think a, a celebrity or anybody in, in the public eye should voice their opinion about politics because you're gonna uh, you're gonna piss off half of your readership or your viewership. Yeah. You know, it makes sense. Keep your mouth shut. I, I watched it early on, and uh, a major starlet, um, and she got crazy with the Vietnam War, and her career went to hell. She had to start doing exercise videotapes. <laughs> But yeah, you can't isolate isolate different groups. It's made, made never millions gonna... of dollars, though. Anyway, you guys aren't in that business to talk right. about favorite. Do right. your movies and and sing and whatever you have to do, but don't destroy your own career. Right. Make sense. Right. Yeah. All right. Next is from Jean. Gianni, we obviously know that you were very close friends with Frank Sinatra, as we also heard in this episode. What were your favorite? <laughs> What were your favorite and least favorite qualities of Frank? I, I didn't like when he got drunk because he couldn't control himself. And, uh, you know, not that, I mean, you're asking me mine. That was the only thing I didn't like about the guy. I mean, other than that, you know, he had a temper and an ego, but he should. I mean, he's Frank Sinatra. But the, other than that, he was, uh, I mean, this, this guy as far as human rights and standing up for people. He was always there, and you know he's a great contributor, quietly, to so many causes. I remember one day, I, I walked into his dressing room and he's telling Dorothy, he's ordering sc two school buses. That he heard on the news they they were trying to raise money for school buses. He bought the buses and he wanted no thanks. You should just send him the buses. But he did a lot of that kind of thing. But the only thing is, I, I, the problems, I only had two or three problems with him. Then he realized that I ain't going anywhere and he can't get rid of me. And um, <laughs> he got really rude with me one night. And I remember, well, it was the Baccarab uh, pit at Caesar's Palace at the Bacchanal Bar, they called it. And uh, he tried to slap me. And I just grabbed his arm in the, in the air. I can't say what I said. But then he looked around at everybody, and they realized they weren't stopping me. <laughs> and then he got the message, I must have friends a little higher than his. <laughs> but, you know, in fact, you're going to find out a Sinatra favor that he did later on in life, just before he died. Uh, just to give you a little more spice to where we're going. And for even Pat, this is the first time Pat's going to hear it. Caesar's Palace was the only place that never discounted their rooms and their junkets. Like, a lot of times the hotels from Monday to Thursday don't discount the rooms. Sinatra, as a favor to friends of ours in Chicago, mainly Ocado and some other people, he went to Billy Weinberger, who was the president, 
He said, if you don't give them 25 rooms a day, I will never sing here again. And they did it. That's wow. the loyalty he had to the mob. These are the kind of stories that people are going to say, whoa, this is nuts. But we're going to do it and say it and have fun with it. Can't wait. All right, next is from John. John says, my mother's name is Lucy Russo, born in Cleveland, Ohio, and her father's name is Mike Russo, who was born in Italy, and I believe the city was Campari or something similar to that. I was wondering if there is any, any relationship between our two families. One of my uncles is Chuck Platia from Brooklyn, New York, and he had a brother named Frankie who was in the mob, probably on the lower level. I was wondering if you ever heard of him. If so, I would like to talk to you about a story I heard of him to see if it's true. I don't know any of them. And what most people have to realize, Russo is like Smith in America. <laughs> that name, there's the Navalidan Russos, there's Galabrese Russos. Susain is the, is the old trade name. And, uh, but Naples and Sicily are the, the, the two strong Russo families. And I happen to be okay. half Navalidan and half Russo, so I'm benefiting from both sides. But I don't know who the Russos are in Cleveland. All right. Well, she goes, or he goes on to say, excuse me, even if our families are not related, we still have one thing in common. I dislike James Kahn as well. I think he's nothing more. <laughs> I love I you. He's nothing more than a wannabe. Thanks for taking the time to read this. God bless you. Oh, thank you. That's great. Yeah, I feel sorry for Jimmy. <laughs> All right. Next one is from Melissa. Melissa says, Johnny, do you have any props from the filming of The Godfather? I'm sure they must be prominently displayed in your home. Oh, I think the most prominent one you can't miss is the garbage pail cover. It's on my bar that, that Jimmy happened to beat me with. <laughs> how, did you, how did you get that? Did somebody gift that to you? Yeah, I wanted it bad, and Paramount wouldn't give any of those kind of things up. And uh, a, a company that my cousin owned called Sorrento Cheese out of Italy. He used to sponsor all the feasts. Of, I went all over the world. They paid me to go and do after The Godfather. And one night in Boston, in front of 100,000 people that I had on the streets in Boston for a concert in the North End, they presented me with that framed uh, garbage pail cover. I didn't ask how they got it, but I know it's the one because uh, the only way I really knew because the stunt the stunt coordinator riveted the handles because Jimmy was using such massive force with it. It, it was just a well they were afraid in a shot it may break and cut one of us. And if you recognize, okay. well, Megan, you've seen it. When you look at it the next time, you'll see they put solid rivets in it so it couldn't break loose and one of us get cut by it. But I have that. I have a lot of stuff. You know, it's, it's been fun. Interesting. All right. Next one is from Jack. I'm planning a trip to NYC when all craziness subsides. What would you recommend as some must-dos in the city? Must, much appreciated. Keep up the great work. Well, Jack, I hate to uh, disillusion your anxiety coming here. I wouldn't come here for another year and a half because everything is so, you know, separated. Real people are not going out. Mulberry Street's dead right now. They're hoping to survive. I mean, there's restaurants I know, like Lombardi's, the oldest pizza 
pizza place in in the United States may have to close. They just and can't. They can't not exist. Not only West Side of Manhattan. Oh my West God. She can't. What a. I mean, yeah. blocks and blocks and blocks of junkies. And yeah, you, you should. Juicy sidewalks for bathrooms. Oh my God. Bed. Yeah. Keep keep the memory you have until you yeah, come here. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Johnny, if one if it's encouraging to hear, I was on Mulberry Street on Friday for dinner, and it was packed. Yeah, I know. You must have heard you. Were I mean, they may be doing, <laughs> they may be doing differently since they can't sit indoors. But all the outdoor seating was. Oh, Jim, no, it's oh, I'm not over. saying, I'm not so, saying, but you're not getting the flavor, because they had, they built okay. the whole streets, they built all these restaurants, but Mulberry Street, other than having the, the feast lights up. It's like every other street in New York. I could go on. I see, what, I see what you're saying. See what it. I'm saying? You're moving. Right. You're, you're losing the storefronts of Ferraras and seeing the religious stores and the. the actual I see what you're saying. It's just different. It's changing. Yeah, that's all I'm talking about. Now Marlboro Street will be back, but I think it's going to take that long to get the true flavor. Like when you were there before the pandemic, it was a different yeah. time. Lamella was, it was different. Was. Yeah. I love Lamella. Oh yeah. I, I still do. <laughs> all right. That's all I have for tonight. Well, thank God. We had a great show. And again, we thank our audience. Without you, we have nothing. We say this repeatedly. We need your support and loyalty and spread the word. We all love you. God bless you. Good night, Pat. Good night, Megan. Good night, Johnny. Good night, Megan. Good night, guys. Good night, Pat. Good night, Johnny. Wise men say only fools rush in, but I can't help falling. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. You can also visit amazon.com for a listing of books Patrick Picciarelli has written. Remember to follow us on Instagram at hollywoodgodfatherpodcast, as well as leave us a review on iTunes. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails and voicemails. Good night. Take my whole life too For I can Falling in love with you Like the rivers flow, sure